0: I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter 22 will be our text this Lord's day as we continue to walk through God's Word together. And if you've been with us, you know that we're at the point in Second Samuel now, where uh, we have a collection of a few chapters that don't follow chronologically with the rest of First and Second Samuel. These are uh, essentially narratives that kind of encapsulate uh, what we've seen take place. Uh, throughout the course of our study. And so as we come to chapter 22, we found this to be uh, David's song of deliverance. We don't know exactly at what point uh, David wrote this, but it it seems to be uh, later in his life as he is looking back on the ways that God had delivered him. And so uh, we've seen how uh, David calls upon the Lord. We saw uh, last Lord's Day uh, how David claimed righteousness And that that claim of righteousness was because of the work that God had done in his life. God had made him righteous and then called him to walk in righteousness. And now we come to the last part of this chapter where David uh, is praising God. And so we're going to look at verses 32 through 51. We're going to look at David's praise of God in hopes that we might learn how to more rightly praise God ourselves here this morning. And so, out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. Second Samuel twenty two, beginning in verse thirty-two. This is what the inspired word of God says. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge. He has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortress. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name, great salvation, he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. If you would pray with me. Father, I ask that in this time we have this morning, that you would take this ancient text, that this text that that you breathed out through King David, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, this This praise that he offers to you, help us to learn from it and help us to apply it to our lives today. Help us, Lord, in whatever circumstance, whatever situation we may find ourselves in today, help us to praise you and help us, Lord, through your word this morning to see and celebrate and respond to the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a number of quotes that I've read through the years that I come back to. One of them I've shared with you before that always sticks out to me. It's about who God is. It's by author Patrick Morley in a book he wrote called The Seven Seasons of a Man's Life. And he wrote this There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. And they are not the same God. And the turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want, and we start seeking the God who is. Now this quote always stands out to me because it reminds me that there is indeed a a God that so many want. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, often we want a God who's in control, but not too much control. We want a God who offers us advice and wisdom and is always there for us, but not one who judges us or condemns us. We want a God who picks up when we call, who answers yes when we ask. That's the God we want. But that's not the God who is. See, the God who is reveals himself to us through his word and the God who is has has told us rightly who he is. But in order to know who he is, we have to look to the revelation he has given us. And I believe that's the very thing that David does here. As he goes through this latter part now of his song of deliverance, he he begins with that very statement, for who is God? And then he goes on to talk about the God who is. And friends, this morning, if we are to rightly worship God, If we're to rightly glorify God, then we need to worship Him and glorify Him for who He is. Not for who we want Him to be. And so we're going to consider these things as we walk through this text today. We're going to look at who God is, how God, excuse me, how David praises Him for who He is. How David praises Him for what He's done and for what He is going to do. And how we can then apply each of those things to our own lives this morning. So we'll start with the first point there in your outline. This reminder that David praises God for who he is. And primarily what he says here is that God is a rock and a refuge. That phrase or those phrases are consistent when we consider how David praises God. I mean, just throughout the Psalms, we find nearly a hundred times either one or two or both of those words mentioned. God as the rock, God as the refuge. And then there are many other times where David talks about God as his shelter and words that connect to those words. I'll read just a few for you this morning. Psalm 18, verse 2, David writes, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In Psalm 19, verse 14, David says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Psalm 31, beginning in verse 3, David writes, For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net. They have hidden for me. You are my refuge. So, David, in using these words so often, it's important that we consider, well, what do these words mean? And when we think of God as a rock, perhaps we think of just a solid rock and a a solid foundation. And that's certainly true. But what that word literally means applies more to a a mountainside, a cliff, a, a series of rocks. And so when David here is saying that God is his rock, he's, he's saying in essence that, that God is the rock that I, I go into, I find shelter in. He covers me, he protects me, he shelters me. You think of how many times in David's life that literally was the case with a rock. If you followed with us through the study of First and 2 Samuel, you know that there was a time when God had anointed David to be the king, and yet Saul was still reigning as the king. And Saul despised David, and he cursed David, and he pursued David, and he wanted to put David to death. And we have these scenes throughout the Scripture so often where David would find shelter and find rest in a rock, in a cave. We find so many crucial points in David's flight from Saul. They take place in a rock and a shelter in a cave. So what does David mean when he says that God is rock? Well, I believe he means that that God is his protection, his provider, his shelter. He's praising God here for, for being his protector, his provider, his shelter. He goes on to talk about how God had protected him, how he had provided, how he had been his shelter. Verse 34, he said, He made... David's feet like a deer so they did not fall. You you have that imagery. Perhaps you've all in this room at some time seen a deer and how they can just gallop along. And those small little hooves just need a small little space to keep themselves secure. The picture here is of a deer running up the side of a mountain. (laughs) A narrow path. But his steps are secure. David says that's what God has done for him. Verse 35, it said he made David's hands and arms strong for battle. He gives this imagery of, of bending a bow of bronze, that God made him so strong in battle that he could take on any enemy. Verse 36, God shielded him. He made David great. Verse 37, David made sure, or excuse me, God made sure David's feet did not slip. And then as we come to the next. Verse, we see that in the midst of David's praise, he shifts from you statements, statements about God, to I statements, statements about himself. In verse 38, David says, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Verse 39, David says, I consumed them. They fell under my feet. And if we just take these verses out of the context of what David's already said, it might seem that David is being boastful or prideful that that suddenly he's taking the credit for what God had rightly done. In fact, we see him do this a few more times as you continue in the passage. He goes back between these you statements about God to these I statements about himself. So what do we make of that? Well, very simply, I think if you read this in the context, you see that the you always comes before the I. David is saying because of who God is, you God, you God, you God, because of who God is, this is what God empowered David to. To do, I, David says, am able to pursue my enemies. I'm able to destroy them. Why? Because of who God is. David is rightly acknowledging and celebrating and praising who God is and how he's empowered him to do the things he's gifted him and called him to do. None of this was done in David's strength. It was all done by the power of the Lord. And we see this as we consider how David praises who, praises God for who he is. And it's a reminder to us this morning that as we praise God, that the right way to praise God is to praise God for who he is. And so how do we do that? How do we protect ourselves from that slippery slope of praising God as the God we want rather than as the God who is? Well, very simply, the way we do that, friends, is we we open up God's Word where He reveals who He is. We praise Him in light of what He's told us about Himself. I'll give you one example of how we can do this. You can just write down in your notes Psalm 46. Psalm 46. So, So a good lesson, a good way to praise God is to praise God with your Bible open, looking at a passage where God tells you who He is, Reading what he says about himself and then responding to what God reveals to us about himself. And so, for example, Psalm 46 begins this way. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So notice the order there. We, we first see who God is. It's about God. There's the, the you, you God statements. And then we see how this then applies to us, what, what it results in for us. What are we able to do because of who God is? So again, God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help in trouble. We praise him for these things. God, thank you that you are our protector. You are our provider. Thank you that in the day of trouble, I can come to you. You turn on the news at any given point in the day right now. And what do you see? Trouble. We we are surrounded by trouble. We, We are in a world of trouble. We see across the ocean wars, not rumors of wars, literal wars taking place. We see people losing not just their things and their livelihood, but their very lives. We see evil men doing wicked things. We see millions of people being affected by that. There is trouble in our world today. We say, well, that's, that's over there. It's not here. But friends, there's trouble here too, isn't there? Here's the most spiritual way I can say it. Our world has lost their ever-loving minds. I mean, you look around today at the the mass confusion of our world. That there is no ability, no discernment to discern what is right and what is wrong. We don't seem to be able to agree on anything, and it's not because we have strong opinions on either side. It's because people have no moral compass. That there's no absolute in their lives. They are tossed here and there By the waves and the winds of change. And it is disturbing and it is troubling. And as we look around at it, if we're not careful, we become overwhelmed by it. And then even closer to home in our own families, in our own lives, in our own church. So often we're surrounded by suffering and distress. People we love hurting. People we love dying, crises all around us. And it is easy for us to look at these things and literally feel like the earth is giving away. It is literally the feeling that the mountains are being moved into the heart of the sea. It feels at times like the very earth underneath us is just going to open up. And if we just focus there, if we just start there... That's rather hopeless, isn't it? But notice that's not where Psalm 46 starts. Who is God in the midst of these things? God is our refuge and he is our strength and he is a very present help in trouble. I love in his word that he says, not just he's the help in trouble, he's the very present help in trouble. He's always on time. He's always present. He's always there to help you and help me right now. In whatever crisis you are facing, whatever suffering you are facing, whatever trial you are going through, God is your very present help. He is here to help us, to shelter us, to protect us, to provide for us. So that what? That's who He is. So how does that apply? Then we don't have to fear when the earth gives way. Notice he doesn't say, because he's our refuge, our strength, our very present help in trouble, then life will be smooth and easy. Then the earth will always feel like sure footing. Then nothing will ever change. Then it won't seem like the world's lost his mind. No, he says, as these things happen, we don't need to fear. Friends, I understand that in our world today, there are so many reasons for us as followers of Christ to, to feel fear, to be anxious, to be worried. But hear what God's word says. This is who God is. We are not the first people in the history of the world to go through troubling times. (laughs) Consider David and all that he experienced. And now what is he doing? He is singing to God this song of deliverance. And he is reminding us that in our time of need, we too should be singing to God this song of deliverance. Because of who he is. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our very present help in trouble. And then David shifts here, point two there in your notes. David praises God for what he has done. He praises God for what he's done. Now, he, he's already noted in this section of Second Samuel, he's already noted things that God's done. But, but here, specifically, he seems to turn his focus to the victory that God gave David regarding the nations. And he notes two categories of people. The first David talks about my people or people. That term in the Hebrew indicates relatives, kinsmen. This is likely then a reference David's making to the Israelites, to the Hebrews, to to the the people of God. And he's saying of God, he is praising God for what God has done among those Israelites, those Hebrew people. But he doesn't stop there. Then he talks about these foreigners. Now, that word in the Hebrew doesn't give us a lot of direction. It literally means a group of people. But the indication here seems to be that these are non-Israelites. These are outsiders, foreigners. And what's David saying? He's saying both with my people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, and with those who aren't considered my people, the non-Israelites, the non-Hebrews, these other nations. God's been at work among all of them. In fact, he says among all of them that they've served David. They've obeyed David. They've revered David. they've, They've submitted themselves to his rule. He is God's anointed king. And through the power of God, God has drawn the people in to his anointed king to listen to him, to obey him. Now, not perfectly. Certainly, there were times when people didn't do that with David. They turned against him. But ultimately, in looking back, David's saying, the big picture here, what has God done? among the nations. He's brought these nations to David to revere him and serve him and obey him and submit to him. And his point's clear that this isn't anything about David. It's not because David was such a great king. And we look back historically on David, and, and he did great things. But he also did some really ignorant things, some foolish things. When we look back on David's reign and we see his faithfulness, but we also see times he struggled with faith. And so at this point in his life, it's clear that that what's taken place in his life is not of his own doing, that, that God has blessed David, that God has done this work among the nations. And so David is looking back on these things, and he's not saying, well, look at all the things I've done. He's saying, look at all the things that God has done. And he's praising God for that. He continues then to praise God for what he has done. He praises God for giving David vengeance, for exalting him among the people. I mean, you think of how often in David's life he was tempted to take matters into his own hands. How often he had the opportunity, for example, to strike down Saul, and yet he refused to do it. Because in those times, it wasn't that he feared Saul, it's that he feared the Lord. And he was trusting in the Lord. And ultimately, David sees how God gives him vengeance. You think of all the people that joined Saul and later joined Absalom, David's son, when he tried to take the throne from him. Think of all those people who turned against David. But through all this, ultimately, David trusts in the Lord and the Lord delivers him. He avenges him. And so now David, in response to this and praising God for what he's done, he, he doesn't just do this privately and his prayer to God. No, he's going to praise God among the nations. The, the indication here is that, that David, in his testimony of God's deliverance, that he is, he is shouting out and sharing this testimony with those all around him to the ends of the earth. He's telling both his people, the Israelites, and he's telling the non-Israelites, these foreigners, about what God has done he's praising God not just for who he is but what he's done and we too should do the same and there's many ways we can do this i want to suggest two to you this morning two ways that we can praise God in our own lives for what he has done first we can praise him as we pray so we open up the scripture and we read his word and we praise him for who he is and then we can continue as we walk through his word to, to praise him for what he's done in our lives as we respond to his word. I'll give you just one example. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a, a verse I quote often. It's a verse about how we're saved. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing." It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So how might that passage encourage us to praise God for what he's done? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you've truly been saved today, then, then you know this, this passage is full of reminders of why you and I should be praising God. I thank God For saving me. I don't stand before you this morning as someone who had a plan to land in this spot. I had a plan to do many other things. As many of you did. But God in his grace. Not anything I deserved. God by his grace. He saved me. Not because of my works, not because of my attempts, not because I was so religious. I I was running as fast and as hard as I could from the ways of God. And in that time, God in His providence, He reached down and He overwhelmed me with conviction of my sin. And He sent me through others who came and shared the gospel with me as a A freshman in college, sitting in that dorm room, someone sat down with me and opened up the Bible to me, and for the first time in my life that I can remember, I heard and understood the gospel of our Lord Jesus. The gospel that said that that I and we were born sinners. Now, I didn't need any convincing of that as a freshman in college. But I didn't know what to do about it. And I was feeling the weight of it and the guilt of it. And so as this man came to my room and shared the gospel with me and told me, the scripture said very clearly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. I needed no convincing. I needed no other arguments. I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I knew that. I wanted to know what to do about that. And then he continued in God's word and opening it up and to show me that that God demonstrated his love towards me, and that while I was still a sinner, that Jesus died for me. Well, I grew up in the South. I went to vacation Bible schools. <laughs> I went to youth lock-ins. I heard at times the gospel presented. I heard about Jesus, but I never connected the pieces. And so when he said that God demonstrated his love toward me, that while I was yet sinner, Jesus died for me. I was like, okay, he died for me, but what, what do I do? And then I'll never forget that moment. He said, if, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in the weeks that followed that conversation, I, I, just was, I was just stuck there. What, what does it mean for Jesus to be my Lord, for him to be my king, for him to call the shot? I don't, I don't know about you, but I grew up in an environment when I would hear about Jesus, there's this sense that, that Jesus is the life preserver, that he's the savior, that he's there to rescue you. But, but I had no concept of what it meant for Jesus to be king and Lord and authority over my life. For him to be supreme and for me to obey him. And so I had a decision to make. Was I willing to submit my life to King Jesus? And I decided, I responded to that gospel offer that yes, I would do that. And so when I come to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, I can't come to this passage without considering the awesome work of God, the gift, the undeserved gift that God gave me that day. And so friends, we we open up God's word and we praise him for what he's done as we consider what he's done. And so if, if you... In hearing Ephesians 2, 8, 9, if, if, as you're sitting there, and as I'm telling my story, you're thinking about your story, and you're being reminded of how God saved you, that that's the fruit, that's, that's the testimony of the Spirit's work in your life. But as you read that passage, and nothing comes to mind, you're, you're unable to articulate in any way how God has saved you, what He saved you from if this notion of Christ being King and Lord and in control and supreme of your life seems foreign to you, then hear me, then this morning, you're, you're not praising God rightly for what He's done because, because you're still trusting in yourself. You're trusting in the fruit, the work of your hands. You're, you're trying to do good things. I mean, my goodness, you're, you're at the early service. You know? <laughs> Better than all those late service people. I mean, it's not even Easter yet and you're here. Maybe you're trying this morning. Maybe, maybe you've had this sudden conviction and interest, and you've started to open up your Bible. Maybe there's, there's a work going on there, and yet you, you've yet to bow your knee to Christ. Hear this. God, God in His sovereignty and His providence today, He's put you in this place for this reason, that you might hear this word proclaimed, and that you, too, might respond in faith and trust in Him. So that then you can praise Him for what He has done. So so praising God for our salvation, that's primary, that's fundamental. That's one of the ways we can praise Him for what He's done. And then second, a second way we can do this is that we we can tell others about what God's done. Verse 50, David says, For this I praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises, to your name. David was praising God by telling others about what God had done in his life. And we should do the same. And so as I read this morning Ephesians 2 8, 9, I, I praise God for my salvation, but I also I, I was sharing with you about what God has done in my life. And you are called to share with others about what God has done in your life. And we do that very simply by telling others what, what God has saved us from, how he's saved us, and how he's changed us. For three very simple things. What God has saved us from, how he's saved us, and how he's changed us. It's interesting because when you read through the scriptures, you'll find testimonies like that. You'll find Peter's testimony. You'll find Paul's testimony. They're able to articulate those things in about two minutes. <laughs> so nobody's saying you have to go out and come up with an hour long sermon for someone some of you now are thinking well why didn't I just take two minutes this morning but but we can do this very simply by sharing our testimony about what God has done and not just how he saved us but how he sanctifies us and how God continues to work in our lives in light of his word and empowered by his spirit We, we praise him to others And so we we praise God for who he is. We praise him for what he's done. And then finally, we see David here, point three, praising God for what he will do. His concluding verse in the Song of Deliverance, verse 51, says this. Great salvation he brings to his king. He shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. And so David has looked back, and now he is looking ahead. And this is very significant. That this passage David here uses the term anointed. It's the word that we get the word Messiah from. It's only the second time this word is used in all of 1st and 2nd Samuel to refer to David. That the first was in Hannah's prayer in 1st Samuel 2 where she is praising God for what he would one day do through his king that he would raise up through his anointed. It's a messianic reminder. It's a messianic reference. It's about messianic hope. And it's rooted in the covenant that God made with David. And that covenant would be about what God would one day do through the offspring of David. Second Samuel chapter 7. God tells David through Nathan, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This forever king is the one who would bring great salvation to the nations. This was the promise that David was clinging to. And it was an important promise for David. Especially as David is looking back. Because consider as David looks back what he sees. He sees what we see. He sees David the failure. He sees David the sinner. He sees David the adulterer. He sees David the murderer. And he sees one that God was entirely faithful to. And yet so often he struggled to walk by faith he fell short he sinned and he failed so if if the hope of David's kingdom if the hope of David's dynasty rested in David's ability to be faithful then all hope had been lost at this point but David writes these words as a reminder that all hope was not lost because an offspring would come who would never fall short An offspring would come who would never sin. An offspring would come that would never fail. An offspring would come and would sit on the throne and would be king, who would be entirely faithful and would obey God perfectly. The offspring, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the one who perfectly fulfills the covenant that God made with David. And so David here is forward-looking at the end of his life to the day that God will do what God said he will do. And God did what he said he would do. That's why in the Gospels we're reminded so often of Jesus in reference to the house of David. That this reminder that God fulfilled this covenant that he made, this promise he made to David. Matthew's Gospel, as he talks about the genealogy of Jesus, it begins this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. It's the first statement he makes about Jesus. Paul in 2 Timothy 2 writes this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And Jesus says of himself in Revelation 22, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. That these reminders are placed there throughout the New Testament, so that we might be reminded today that God is a God who keeps his promises. And the covenant promise he made to David that this offspring would come came to fruition. And friends, that should encourage us today. Our faith rests on that promise today. And it also encourages us to look ahead and to be reminded God is still in the business of keeping his promises. And God has promised that Jesus would come again. And God's word tells us that when Christ comes again, he will bring with him reward and he will bring with him judgment. For those who have trusted in Christ as Lord, there will be blessing and there will be eternal reward in a new heaven and a new earth. But for those who refuse, those who will not call Jesus Lord and King, those who will not obey and submit to his authority, then Jesus brings judgment. And with that judgment becomes a very real eternal hell under the wrath of the one true God. And so the question for us today as we consider the word of God and we consider the God who keeps his promises, the God who is, is are we truly trusting in this God? Are we prepared for the day when God keeps his promise because he will When Jesus returns. What if that day is today? I don't know that. It may be a thousand years from now. But are we prepared and are we ready? One of the opportunities we have each Lord's Day as we gather is to prepare for that day. And to ready our hearts and to ready our lives. And so we invite you this morning as you consider God's word and respond to it to bow your knee to Christ to trust in him. I'm going to take just a moment and, and close this in prayer, and then we're going to worship again together. But as I pray for us, I, I just, I'm going to take a, a moment for us just to be silent and just to, to pray. And this is just an opportunity for every one of us in this room to respond to the word of God. And just to go before God now and pray. If the Spirit has been at work on you this morning, if you are feeling conviction of sin, this is an opportunity for you to repent of that sin. If the Spirit's been at work in such a way to lead you to repentance and faith and to trust in Christ, this is an opportunity for you to trust in Christ. For us to walk by faith. So let's just take a moment right now. Let's just be silent for a moment. Let's just pray for a moment and ask God to work in our hearts and respond to the work of God. He is doing, and then I will pray for us, and then we'll sing together. Father, I thank you that the hope of our salvation does not rest in our hands, in our attempts at righteousness, in our good works or good faith, because we fail and we sin and we struggle and we fall short. But I thank you, Lord, that this morning our our hope can rest in Jesus, who never fails and never struggles. I thank you for the promise of your word and how we live in a day and age where we can look back and see the promises you've made and the promises you've kept. But Lord, like David, we are also looking ahead to the promises you one day will keep. We are trusting, Lord, in the day of Jesus' return when he comes to make all things new. And so help us, Lord, between this day and that day to walk by faith and not by sight. I pray for us now, Lord, as we respond to your word together, as we sing together, that you would help us, Lord, to rightly praise you and honor you. For who you are for what you have done and for what you one day will do we ask all this in jesus name amen church family and guests i want to invite you to stand together now as we sing together now rock of ages cleft for me and as we sing i'll be available down front to pray with you this morning it may be that that god's leading you to respond to his word in some way to to come and respond to the gospel, to start the process of joining this church family, to be baptized. Perhaps you just need someone to pray with you today. And so it would be my joy to do that now during this response time as we lift our voices, as we sing together, as we respond as the Lord leads us.